Hey everyone, Editing Navia here. Uh, before we get into this episode, did want to just give a quick disclaimer. We had some audio difficulties when we were recording this, um, just some issues with microphones and stuff. So you're probably going to hear the audio being a little bit messed up in this episode, uh, some echoing and some background noise. Hopefully it's not too bad and um, we decided we'd rather put the episode out than scrap it all together. So uh, here it is. And uh, also a quick content warning before we get started. This episode does discuss suicide. It is part of the chapter and we do spend some time discussing it. If that's something you'd rather not listen to, that's totally fine and we will see you next episode. Thanks. Welcome to One Does Not Simply, where three friends take on the Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. I'm Navia. And I'm Ashani. This is episode 33, One Does Not Simply Make Grand Happen. As always, there will be spoilers for the entire Tolkienverse ahead. With that said, let's get into it. everybody gondor is under siege is what we're talking about in today's episode of one does not simply uh it's been put under siege by none other than sauron who's been working on this for a while gondor has not really prepared uh and so this chapter is a big bummer and not least because (laughs) we get to meet faramir in earnest for the first time in his home turf and we get to see him interact with his father. And if you haven't read the books and you think that, like many other aspects of the novels, they played up the drama between Denethor and Faramir in the movies, uh, you would be incorrect. It's very abusive, uh, really bad stuff. What did you guys think of it, uh, Navia and Ashani? I couldn't believe that, like, the lines that they say in the movie are just straight up in the book because they're so mean. Up to this point, I kept thinking, like, oh, Denethor does not seem as bad as he came off in the movies. Like, he seems like he, you know, is pretty together. He's making what seems like reasonable decisions. And then this conversation, like, the very first time he has a conversation with Faramir, it's just, I instantly hated him because I was like, oh, you are the worst. Um and I think we had kind of different takes on that, Ishani, because you you seemed a little bit more understanding of that. Well, and I think with the caveat that the things that Denethor says to Faramir are inexcusably shitty, right? Like they're they're awful things to say to you. You can't excuse telling your kid, "Well, I wish you had died instead of your brother." Like there's no justification for that. But I think some of the critiques are coming from a place that makes sense to me, right? Like in the in the broadest term of Denethor is looking at Faramir and going, you are now the person who has to take on stewardship of Gondor after I'm dead because your brother is gone. The person who has been raised to take on that role is dead. And you are what is left. Like, you are the only other person in my line. And it's got to be you. And and so some of the things he says, right, about, like, well, you're asking for advice, but then you're not, like, listening to me. Or you're looking to Gandalf, this outsider, for advice. And you're really, like, just doing whatever he says 
aren't necessarily great leadership traits. Like in this structure of leadership, you need somebody who's going to make decisions, who will like ask for advice and then potentially listen sometimes if you're going to bother asking for advice. And he is also arguably in the same way that I had this complaint about Aowen, right, that throwing your life away because your own personal headspace, that's what makes sense to you is different when you have responsibility to hundreds or thousands of people. And Faramir now has responsibility, right, that he didn't before. Like, coming back and saying, well, I let the hobbits go, right? And I think that's originally the decision that Denethor is objecting to, is the fact that he let Frodo and Sam go. But the way he says it, too, Uh, is like, was that the right thing? Like, did I do it? Did I do good? (laughs) I thought it was really interesting. Like, I couldn't stop making parallels between Denethor and Theoden here, though, because you start out this chapter with this description of Denethor uh, as, like, I think they describe him as an old spider. And and just, like, you know, you can feel the weight of the gloom around him. And I it made me think that we actually encounter Denethor in almost the exact same position that we first met Theoden, right? His son has just died. And now he is being asked yeah. to rally his people to fight a battle. And we we see almost the same, like, state that they're in of this gloom and just this oppression of feeling like they can't do anything. And so they're just sitting there and they're par- paralyzed by their own emotions and inability to act. And then we just see, like, a totally different result with the two of them. Um, and... Part of that is because of Gandalf, but I thought the other interesting parallel here was that, like, Denethor thinking that, like, Faramir taking the counsel of Gandalf is weird and and suspicious. We read it as just like, no, Gandalf's the wise one here, but this is basically exactly what happened with Saruman, right? The thing that is, though, Saruman's counsel with Theoden was really intense, right? It was 100%. Mm -hmm. You have a living worm tongue at that point. Um, that's some really, that's a very close relationship. I guess what I'm saying is that it's one thing, you know, to have this like full on counsel that Saruman is providing, um, which is obviously in bad faith and has a very Sauron, uh, vibe to it kind of explicitly, Mm -hmm. but it's totally different what Gandalf was doing. Gandalf was just coming in and saying, Hey, you know, here's the situation. We have some other people that we're rallying and hopefully we can help you. Right. And Gandalf, if you don't forget, is the one that's trying to bring in the Rohirrim. No, I think objectively you're right. And Denethor, if anything, is like exploiting the fact that this is like a a wizard who has a weird sort of like, you know, uh, potential to corrupt the mind of a steward. He's using that and he's basically taking that and going, you know, Faramir, you're weak. You know, you're you don't Mm -hmm. have the best interest of, you know, the country at heart. You're my lesser son. Yeah. No, I think objectively you're right, but I guess I'm wondering, like, how does, how do they know? Like, we know as the readers, we're seeing the results of the decisions and and what happens in the world around. But like, how does the king know which council is good council? No, I mean, I think that's a fair point, right? Is like, if I was Denethor and somebody comes in like once every decade 
to tell me that bad shit is on the horizon and here's how I should handle it and like doesn't really provide any explanation or context. And then to be fair, also sweeps in and says stuff like, I do not trust you. Now hearing you speak, I trust you less. Like, I mean, Gandalf's not exactly making himself friends here. Yeah, Gandalf is not coming here to be your buddy. He's been, like, accruing legitimacy over the last two weeks or however long it's been since the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring. And, like, it's rapidly building up to the point where I think now... If I was in Denethor's position, I would see I don't really have much of a choice but to take this guy's help in one form or another because he's the person that's talking to Theoden now. Like, Theoden is Gandalf's man at this point. And Aragorn, who Denethor probably knows about, is kind of Gandalf's guy. And Gandalf is just, like, straight up... Can we talk about how he, like... Doesn't he, like, basically take command of Minas Tirith or the garrisons at some point in this chapter? I... He starts to give them orders, but it's really, you know, that's the other thing is that in doing so, he actually ends up kind of splitting the forces a little bit because there are, we definitely get the sense that some troops remain loyal to Denethor and the line of stewards, and some people are willing to listen to whoever is there to give them orders. It's And I don't know that there's like a better solution to that, but I do think that there's, again, it kind of comes back to... Like, if Gandalf had played the game a little better, you're saying he's accruing legitimacy, but he hasn't been in Gondor to accrue that legitimacy. He's been fucking around the countryside with the Rohirrim and, like, doing other stuff. So we see that legitimacy. But, like, how the hell is anyone in Gondor supposed to know that he's actually doing all the things he said he's Well, done? again, I mean, he, it's the same thing that he did with, with Rohan, right? He went in and he was like, I'm right and your king is wrong. And he just, like, had a couple of people, like Aomer and, uh, was, who was the, was it Hama at that point? (laughs) Who was just like, yeah, okay, fine. And they just let him do his thing. And I feel like now we're getting to see what it looks like when that doesn't work. I basically think that, like, I've changed my mind about Gandalf, you guys. I, I thought that Gandalf was, like, kind of a minor, a relatively minor character compared to Aragorn for most of this series. And now I'm like, oh, this whole thing feels like it's about Gandalf to me now. Uh, Like, Aragorn seems like kind of a side character in comparison to Gandalf. Uh, Not how it's treated in in the movies. Yeah. But I I still gotta say, like, I think Denethor had some fair points. Um, Like, yes, okay, Gandalf is fair in saying, well, there are people outside of Gondor but Denethor also has a point that if Gondor falls, everybody else is fucked. Like, the Rohirrim nearly lost to a less tremendously sized army once before. They're not going to stand up against all of these people on their own. The elves have given up and are already, like, on their way out, you know? I'm sorry. Did you say I was breaking up? You broke a up for a little bit, bit yeah. but I got the gist. But we, we got, got you. Idea. We, okay. we get it, Ashani. Yeah. We, you, you basically say the same thing every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I have my soapbox. Ashani just grinding again. Um, All grand, she says grand, is grind. Like, grand. why does she just keep saying only grind? <laughs> Imagine if we did an episode where it was like we had a normal conversation, but then we just take out one of our tracks and it's just somebody going grind, grind, grind over and over again. 
In fact, you can just do that with this episode. You don't need to put in anything I say. You can just take that, like, three-second clip, and that can be my whole track. <laughs> you can do a, we could do a grand drop anytime we want. Um, the one thing I think, I mean, I think Denethor is saying to Faramir, if you ally with this wizard who is already chipping away at my slash our legitimacy as commanders of the city, you are trading something that we have had for a long time. Yeah, you can definitely see where, like, Boromir was getting his rhetoric from, too, at the council, where he was just like, we are the only ones who have been standing against Mordor for all this time, and now we get, like, almost Mm -hmm. that direct quote from Denethor, and I was like, oh, there it is. I want to go back, though, to something Navia said, um, which was the, the piece of, like, legitimacy. Well, you were both talking about, right, like, legitimacy and... Then Wanda, you said, like, the line is the thing that has this legitimacy. Hearing you say that, I thought about the fact that when Denethor is looking for someone to hold Osgiliath, he doesn't actually say, Faramir, go do this. He says, you know, if there is a captain who is still brave enough to follow his lord's orders someone will go defend Osgiliath. And he is in a meeting with, like, all of his major captains <laughs> yeah. at this hint, point. Hint, Prince and of Dol Amroth, like, that could be you. <laughs> yeah! Right? Like, nobody fucking says anything. Yeah, in the movies, it's just Denethor and Faramir in that scene together, right? And one tomato. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And in the, like, but in the books, it's, like, a full-on conference. But it does really, like, that feeling that Boromir and Denethor have of, like, Gondor standing alone, I wonder if there's the echo of, like, they themselves, the line of stewards, has to stand alone. If that's the kind of support that they're getting where people show up and then, like, don't fucking do anything, right? Like, I can see why they feel they have to carry a lot of that burden themselves, because nobody else... Like, here's this chance for other people to step up, and they don't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you forget that there's a whole other, like, host of captains that could be the one to go hold Osgiliath. Mm -hmm. And all of them would make more sense than Denethor sending his son uh, to go die. In the book, or in the movie, they really make it like Denethor has a suicide wish for himself, for his son, and for yeah. the entire world. And that's why he sends his mm-hmm. his heir to go and do this battle that he knows is going to end terribly. Can we talk a little bit about that? Like him being all doom boom for, for the rest of this chapter? Um, I don't feel like it's doom. I, I think that he's honestly just playing his cards the best that he can. And he's just like running out of options. But he's stupid. Like, and, and there's, or that, or that there's something that's like fundamentally broken about this society where things like sending someone besides your son to hold off Gilead or making uh, treaties with other countries so that you can um, forestall, you know, terrible things from Sauron. It's it, this very obvious doom that's coming down on them, and they're choosing not to deal with it. Uh, mm. Yeah. That was my sense of it. I, think I kind of read it as this feeling of like a very profound hopelessness that happens when he realized because I think Wanda I'm sort of in alignment with you about here's this guy who is 
genuinely not trying to self-sabotage um and then realizes at the 11th hour that he has made the kind of mistakes that there is no coming back from or at least his perception is that there is no coming back from this and there's a lot of like regret right and that feeling that Denethor there's a moment which is really brief where it's like he takes Faramir's body and you see like a flash of light from the tower that's happening in the middle of the night you get this sense that like Denethor is probably at that point like trying to use the Palantir or trying to use some magic or like trying anything at this point to turn shit around and he just can't but I don't know. Navia, what do you think? I I feel like I was supposed to read it as sad. And I just like... We... This is not the first time we've been confronted with a character who thinks that their entire people is doomed. And they are asked to do something about that or asked to face that fact, right? We get it with the Ents and their last march. We get it with Theoden and Helm's Deep. We, to some extent, we get it with Frodo, like continuing to do this walk, right? <laughs> and, and Sam, and I guess like this to me felt pretty deeply like cowardly. That like it's fine that he feels that way. It's very understandable that he feels like there's no hope and that you know this is the end of everything. But. For him as the leader of his people to not at least go out in battle, that was, like, pretty messed up to me. And also to take Faramir with him, I was just like, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, like, I that was... I felt like what what the message was there is... And maybe I'm maybe I'm not meant to read into this this way, but I did where I was like, this is supposed to be in my in my reading of this, the proof that he's not a real king. He is just a steward in the end because he he doesn't do the things that a real king would do. That is a good point, though, Navia, about like in the same way that I have griped about other people shirking their responsibility, like. You're totally right. At the very least, if Denethor wants to make this decision, he could have gone to, like, the rest of his captains and said, listen to Gandalf, right? Or, like, you don't have to listen to me anymore. Like, someone else will Mm -hmm. lead you and you can decide who is going to lead you. But he really doesn't do any sort of... Planning. No, he's he's going and out I, I mean, like let anarchy still... prevail. Like that's his last moment. No, he's making a statement. Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna go out and I'm not gonna let you forget me. Obviously, it's my my you've time has called my number, but I'm you're always gonna remember me as the steward who burned himself. <laughs> <laughs> Although you know, one of the things I was thinking, I was listening to a talk the other day and what was from a medical doctor um, and what the doctor said was aside from hopelessness, actually the other like biggest predictor of somebody making a suicide attempt is like sleep deprivation. And I'm just thinking about like Denethor staying up all night with Faramir, like trying to fix this problem and then just 
genuinely not having the capacity to make any sort of decision. Because again, like he's very isolated. He has all these people around him, but there's really nobody else who's who we like ever see giving Denethor feedback, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't ever see him getting advice or getting support from anybody else, even though like there are all these people who come in to fight, but nobody else is like taking on any responsibility or leadership other than Faramir, who is now unconscious and near death. Yeah, and Denethor, unlike Theoden, doesn't have a legacy to worry about. Theoden Mm -hmm. is sort of of the mind that Gandalf is going to carry on, you know, talking about him. And someone is going to be there to tell the story of Theoden. And he has this long, rich history, you know, he's like, goes, his ancestry goes back to Yorl, Whereas Denethor is at the front of this society that is, you know, purports to be about serving or awaiting the return of the heir of Isildur. But Denethor has really no claim to a, to a legacy from a, like a monarchical point of view, right? And on top of that, again, you know, he's kind of contending with Gandalf's legitimacy now and like Aragorn's legitimacy and it's all it's all kind of like a very turn yourself into a zombie rational decision right do you think he like cares about that though Mm -hmm. about like how he'll be remembered because I don't get the sense that he's that vain in that way where I, I don't know that he's making these decisions because he's worried about his legacy I think he's just genuinely worried about his land and his people Well, I think that, like, this might sound, I guess, like, yeah, this might sound vain, but I don't think that worrying about how you're going to be remembered is wrong in any way. I think it's really healthy. No, I don't think it's wrong either. I just wonder if that's, I don't get that that sense from him that he's concerned about glory. Oh, that, that he worries about that? Um, no, I think he does. Like, he's got that whole passage where he talks about, He's he's frequently referring to himself as a great ruler. Like when he says, you know, always stay inside your castle, even if you send everybody else out, you should stay. That's what a great ruler always does. And then he has that bizarre moment where he just like rips off his cloak and is in full armor. <laughs> yeah. He's like, here's the sword yeah. I'm never going to use anyway. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys want to do you guys want to talk about something else? <laughs> There's a lot that happened in this chapter. <laughs> Um, do you guys want to talk about Faramir? <laughs> Sorry, I'm really bad at this. Let the record show that Apparently I'm not. really, really, not, I'm really tired right now. I'm operating I know. on Denethor levels of sleep. <laughs> I, I did kind of want to just, like, get your takes on what Grand? actually was, <laughs> on Grand. Grand only. Grand for rest of chapter. <laughs> no, I, I did want to get your take on on like what actually took place here because there were several like happenings in the battle in this chapter right there was like Faramir coming back at first and being like oh I made this decision to come back here then he goes out again and then there's just like this whole middle section of just Pippin observing things happening outside the walls and I had like I did not know what was happening. I was just like, okay, which one of these is Faramir, like, making his last stand? Which one of these is just, like, Denethor, for some reason, going out there? 
mm-hmm. that I didn't know what was going on there. And then there's like a bit at the end where Gandalf goes, and then there's a bit where the Prince of Dol Amroth carries Faramir back. It was so confusing. I think I can give you a vague gist, and then Wanda, if you want to correct me, if you think I'm I'm off with anything, um, but I'm gonna try and and speed run in chronological order what happens. So. Pippin and Gandalf come to Minas Tirith, Mm -hmm. right? Faramir arrives afterwards at Minas Tirith and says, here's the shit that went down with these hobbits in the ring. And Denethor is like, hmm, okay, that sure was a choice. And meanwhile, the armies of Mordor are, like, approaching, right? right? You can see that they're on their way. Denethor goes, well, someone needs to fucking hold Osgiliath. And so Faramir gets shipped off to hold. So Osgiliath. is Osgiliath visible from Minas Tirith? I don't think okay. so. I think it's like, well, because it's on the river, right? The whole thing is it's like the river right. crossing, and there's two. So that's the thing is that then as they're under siege, what happens is that the armies are approaching from like further off, and they hit the border of the river. Mm-hmm. And they've prepped all these rafts and stuff somewhere else that they use to cross. They defeat the troops at Osgiliath. And critically, there's another army that takes, like, another part of that army that crosses the river somewhere else. Or crosses, basically, the border. The border. Um, yes. I'm sorry. It just came out. Um <laughs> That crosses the border somewhere else, right? So then there's two flanks of the army approaching Minas Tirith. And that is when, as Faramir is retreating with the troops from Osgiliath, like, I think they get a messenger first. But, like, as Faramir is retreating with the bulk of the troops, um, the Nazgul swoops down. Gandalf and the Prince of Dol Amroth ride out with Minas Tirith's very limited number of horsemen to try and protect those troops that are retreating from the outer garrisons. Faramir gets injured in that process, comes back in. And then there's, like, the siege, right, Mm -hmm. where that's when Grand shows up. Oh, didn't realize Um, that the launching of the heads over the wall was canon, by the way? That's, like, real grim. Yes. Yeah, right? I'm like, oh, okay, so siege warfare is actually one of those things where I'm like, yep, nope, in that position, that's a let's just be zombies kind yeah. of situation, uh-huh. you know? Uh, but then, like, all of that happens where the city is under siege, like, the outer walls crumble um, because Grand breaks through the door, so, like, that outer ring of defenses is gone. The, like, the whole, the whole vibe of the chapter is not supposed to necessarily make sense mm-hmm. or hang, all hang together. You're just getting various, mm-hmm. like, rumors and gists and suggestions that things are happening and you're all seeing it from Pippin's perspective and there are certain yeah, things Yeah, Pippin where... has no idea what's going on, so... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Pippin's got um, no idea. You hear him, like, like through Pippin's perspective, you get passages, like, far in the distance there was a big thing that was being constructed and Pippin didn't know how it was made or what it was at all. <laughs> <laughs> it never... <laughs> and it never comes up again. <laughs> I think that was the, the siege machine that's launching the heads. Oh, I remember what I was going to say, when, when, which is when you were describing that 
it struck me that in contrast to Denethor and Gondor's like total lack of preparation, it actually seems like Sauron is like a pretty good general. <laughs> like he, he's very prepared with his forces. They've got like rafts, they've got machines. He's got it together. He's you planned. Have to really, you have to hire good people when you are not but an eye. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's actually the Witch King. Ooh, I did want to talk about the Witch King showing up at the end. Uh, this is quite the dramatic entrance. <laughs> Yeah, the very end of the chapter is the is the Witch King landing on part of Minas Tirith and confronting Gandalf, right? Mm-hmm. And Gandalf has, yeah. like, his second you shall not pass moment. Which was weirdly, like, more you shall not pass than the bit with the Balrog. Yeah, why was that probably so good? Because, probably because the Witch King talks back. A <laughs> <laughs> Witch King grabs back. <laughs> I, I feel like this scene was written in here just to be theatrical which is funny because it's not in the movies um but it it feels like suddenly you're just like wait where's everyone else where's everyone who was like granding and where's everyone who was defending against grand and like it's just gandalf and the witch king standing there and being like you can't come in here haha yes i can (laughs) (laughs) it's like i i think it's it feels like to me really resonant with the, the general experience of being in the middle of a chaotic event, you get your you get that tunnel vision, right? Where it everything around you like shrinks to like a couple people. I did think it was interesting the scene where like Gandalf basically just admits that he's scared of the Witch King. Cause that was like the first moment mm-hmm. of genuine vulnerability that we saw from him. Has he never um, said he's scared before? I don't know if he said he's scared, but that was the first moment where he was just like, uh yeah, no, I'm out. <laughs> like, I'm tapping out, folks. I just peed my robes. I'll see you guys in a while. Uh, oh, oh, I know what one more thing from this chapter that we should probably cover, which is that, uh, which is Pippin's and Gandalf's reaction to the fact that Faramir has seen Frodo. Because this is very different, I think, mm-hmm. than how I remember it in the movies. Um yeah go for it you got me i'm like i didn't think about that at all (laughs) (laughs) well in the movies it's a a moment of like great hope where they're just like yes frodo is alive and here it was actually like the opposite of that they were like hold on when did you see him oh shit he's definitely dead (laughs) (laughs) yeah until they realized that uh it's like kind of chronologically impossible that frodo would definitely have been killed and very possible that he hasn't because Sauron's forces are, or his concern is drawn to Gondor at the very moment when Frodo is crossing over into Mordor. Yeah, and then you finally get Gandalf piecing together that Sauron thinks Pippin has the ring. Also, why didn't Gandalf and Aragorn plan at all? They had plenty of time. One does not plan reprise. Like, <laughs> the, yeah. if he was going to reveal not, it, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Gandalf's not. Gandalf's not trying to be um, world's best boss, I think. Like, Gandalf just is legendarily not a manager. <laughs> is fucking anyone in this book trying to be not a, a good, good, good boss? <laughs> like... Theoden. <laughs> Theoden is a good boss. Are we just doing quick fire now? <laughs> yeah, we're in slow fire at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I I did think it was interesting that this is okay. 
I don't know. Are we in quick fire? I I was just gonna say a different thing. Yeah. Because go for it. Well, then I have two. I did think that I, I liked this chapter being right after a Mary chapter because Pippin and Mary get like lumped together a lot as characters, but their voices are like pretty distinct here. And there are some like um, some parallels in, in the positions that they're in, right? They're both kind of in service to these different kings and they both have mm-hmm. hissy fits at some point about what's going on. Uh, but I did think it was interesting that like Pippin comes across just as like much younger than Mary somehow because Mary's hissy fit is like, yeah. I want to go to battle with you. What do I? What am? I, what else am I going to do here? And Pippin's hissy fit is like, where is my breakfast? <laughs> like, I hate it here. <laughs> um. Anyway, that's a thing that happened. Uh, but what I really wanted to talk about was the end of this chapter, which is written like an epic poem. And I really liked it. And I'm interested in what you thought. There's there's a lot of like repetition where like each paragraph kind of starts with the same thing as the previous paragraph. Did you notice this? Yeah. Grand, 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 grand. Um, and then... It, yeah, there's just a, lo- a lot of... And the drums roll. Thrice he cried, thrice the great ram boomed. It's th- Something yeah. ha- intentional was happen- happening here. Like, he was definitely trying to do something. But I'm also just kind of curious, like, why this is here. And it's totally, like, never mentioned again and not in the rest of the book. I think you kind of named it already, right? That this confrontation between the Witch King and Gandalf is really cinematic and there's something about the way that he uses language here which is very much it is like an epic right it's meant to evoke that feeling of this is myth this is a legend this is something larger than just the day-to-day life and so especially to kind of contrast that with the rest of the chapter which is a pippin chapter that this is telling us like we are moving beyond for a moment like the the troubles or like the level of ordinary people mm-hmm. and mortals and we are going into something that is a little more like arcane or magical or otherworldly interesting yeah that makes a lot of sense i just thought it was interesting that like it's not that there's no poetry in in these books right there's songs like every other chapter so i thought it was interesting that he brings mm-hmm. this style in that is deliberately different from the poetry he's already included it, I guess it's it's written more like a an epic poem, like Odyssey style, versus like a. I think it's all supposed to be um, like rehabilitation around the Grand, um, making the idea of Grand less ridiculous. <laughs> the the sentences are very short. Uh, everything was like everything becomes like yeah, very old style. Yeah. I hated it. I hated it. I'm sorry. Really? And I can't hold back anymore. I think it I thought it was really corny. Okay, um, I was kind of hoping that one of you would have this like totally opposite take because I was reading it and I was like I think that I really like this, but I can also see somebody not liking it. Yeah, and I, I mean I I think the fact that it was so abrupt made it hard for me to enjoy it actually. Mm-hmm. And throughout the entire grand passage where he's describing the creation of this big head I don't know you like metal you would like this (laughs) 
it's true. I mean, like, I we were talking about similarities between... Look, we'll talk about this in detail some other time, but we were talking about similarities between, like, Beowulf and, and Lord of the Rings. And I, like, this feels like a very deliberate effort to me to, like, mimic some some other style of writing. It reads like an old, like, epic in that way, you know? And I think he he was suddenly just like, oh, got to bring the mythology aspect back. Like, insert epic poem here. Um, and, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, maybe I liked it because I like epic things in general but why do you hate grand so much <laughs> grand yeah. yeah wanda what's wrong with grand also please tell me you s- I-, I think i sent this to you the wordle that's just grand 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes. i i uh i hate grand's politics <laughs> grand is a wolf and i don't think there's any place for a wolf in in middle earth um (laughs) you don't really get any of the infrastructure or culture of mordor other than this do you Mm -hmm. like we Mm -hmm. don't really ever get like that kind of backstory with the you know various buildings and monuments and cultural forms that are in Mordor the same way that you do with the Ents or the Elves or even, like, Trolls. Mm -hmm. You just get Grand. Like, he is their cultural attache. I don't know why it's he. It's he. (laughs) You know what's interesting, though, is, like, think you're going back to reread that, um, it is actually like that's their cultural thing is grand they named it in memory of the hammer of the underworld of old so like it almost has some religious or spiritual significance to them in the way that they named it and it's magical apparently which i just didn't pay attention to the first time through but on it spells of ruin lay so like grand is just a very special boy okay and he's a a magical named for the hammer of the underworld friend who's here to wreck your day and your door. Grand, grand, grand. <laughs> grand, 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 grand. <laughs> what was your quick fire, Wanda? Uh, well, I, I, first I just want to say, I guess as soon as, like, it's, it's meant, is it meant to be like, uh, like this thing that looms over you and you get a sense of if, Mordor wins, then everything all of a sudden is going to be Grand-like. Are, are we just having very different interpretations of what Grand is? <laughs> it's just a battering ram, albeit maybe a magical one. What do you mean that this is when it will be like Grand? <laughs> Is going to be weirdly phallic and shaped like a wolf. But I mean that everything in the world, if Sauron prevails, will be ornamented and builded and carven in the likeness of the hammer of the underworld or these various dark demigods that the orcs seem to worship as part of their 
religion around Sauron. Maybe I'm kind of surprised that the orcs even have any kind of religion. Like, this is the first hint that we get of them having anything that's not just Sauron as their leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, like, dark Catholic. I'm kind of surprised that, like, Tolkien went here. Um, he went off because Tolkien himself, a Roman Catholic, uh, maybe I guess did you know (laughs) yeah did you know uh it's like it's very like dark iconography um this Mm. idea that like and and sort of like pagan too right like there's this religion that kind of swirls around Sauron all the orcs worship Sauron yeah Yeah. they gotta have something else some some saints they have Saint (laughs) Grand if there's one thing we know about pagans it's that they love battering rams (laughs) <laughs> Sauron Mordor is basically um pagans winning. That's Tolkien's view. That's Not a hot view. that's a hot take. <laughs> I think that's is that the take we I think end that's on? the end take. <laughs> Thanks for listening to One Does Not Simply. This episode was edited by Wanda. You can find us on Twitter at ODNSPod and Tumblr at One Does Not Simply Pod. Special thanks to Andrew, Sneha, and all of our listeners for joining us on this journey. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or a review on whatever platform you listen to. Grand, 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 grand.